On this week's Adam Schefter podcast, we are one week out from the NFL draft. A welcome diversion for everybody. And yes, I wondered whether it could come off, should come off the timing it did. I still think it could have been pushed back to May, but the fact of the matter is it is going to be next week and you can actually feel the draft and the energy surrounding it coming up next week because so many people are looking forward to it and it will be so important to the future of so many of these 32 teams in the league as well as the young men in the draft. Their lives are about to be changed. It should be fascinating to watch to see how it all unfolds. And like I say, you could feel it coming on despite what's going on in our country. Here in New York where I live, it's absolutely crazy. Seems like it's plateauing a little bit, which is great. Um, the New York governor, Andrew Cuomo, thinks the worst is over for New York, which is just tremendous. And my concern was that the worst would be going on during the draft. And there's still a lot of sickness. There's still a lot of doctors and nurses and hospital workers on the front line fighting every single day. And I can tell you we're thinking about them every single day. My family and I, last week, sent over all sorts of food to a local hospital, 10 units, 20 doctors, nurses per unit, um, fed lunch to 200 people there at the hospital for the day, felt like it was the least we could do. And I think that they're on the minds of all of us as we go through this pandemic and a time in our country that we've never seen before. Moving on to this week's podcast, we'll be joined by the Falcons general manager, Thomas Dimitrov, who is busy setting up his home in the Atlanta area to be ready for the events of next Thursday night, the NFL Draft. We'll be joined by the host of the NFL Draft on ESPN, Trey Wingo. We'll be anchoring the coverage starting Thursday night, April 23rd through Saturday, April 25th. Trey and I have worked together a tremendous amount. His memory is unlike anybody else's in the business. The recall he has the details he knows about these players. He's unbelievable in those regards. And then, of course, we'll be joined by Dr. Tom Mayer, the medical director of the NFL Players Association, who provides his weekly update on how we are all faring in this pandemic and how close sports are and football is to returning. We'll hear from Dr. Mayer himself. And then we'll take your questions in the Ask Adam segment. But before we move on to Falcons General Manager Thomas Dimitrov, Here's a quick word from our sponsor, State Farm. When it comes to insurance, State Farm has all the makings of a top-tier player. First, they make it look easy. Manage your coverage, pay your bill, and even file a claim from the palm of your hand with the State Farm mobile app, which was just awarded Best Insurance Mobile App for 2019. And like a great teammate, they know your tendencies. State Farm agents are local, so they'll help you choose coverage that fits your needs. State Farm is always there to coach you through it with the answers you need when you need them. When you want the real deal, go with State Farm. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. And if you're interested in more draft coverage with the draft just over a week away, ESPN experts Mel Kuyper Jr. and Todd McShay talk all things NFL draft on their podcast, First Draft. Make sure you're staying up to date by downloading and subscribing to First Draft as well as the Adam Schefter podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcast. And speaking of the NFL draft, the first guest is the Atlanta Falcons general manager, Thomas Dimitrov. Joining me now, the general manager of the Atlanta Falcons, Thomas Dimitrov. And Thomas, I want you to think about this. When I last saw you, it was Wednesday night, February 26th. We were sitting 
in Indianapolis restaurant. Think about how much has changed since we last sat together. Uh, it's, an, it's an unbelievable thought. And I was thinking about it the other day when, when I knew that we were going to get on together. And I thought we're sitting there with our good friend, Doug Hendrickson. We're talking about everything under the sun. We're talking about fast mode, speeding through, draft, free agency. We were doing what we normally do in football during that time. And, and what an unbelievable change of events. And I mean, as, as you know, you guys are right in the middle of it. My heart goes out to everyone uh, up there and all over the world, of course. But the doctors and the healthcare workers up where you are, I just it's unfathomable for me. It's amazing to watch, and the things keep happening in my backyard, right? There's this great photographer, sports photographer from the New York Post. There's this great photographer, sports photographer from the New York Post who passed away the other day. He passed away you know, at the hospital where my wife gave birth, where I passed a kidney stone in November, the hospital that we go to, you know, if something's wrong. And when 60 Minutes is interviewing its people, Hospital workers, doctors, nurses, a couple of weeks back, these are the hospitals we go to. I mean, it's, 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 it's crazy. And New York has got a ton of it. Long Island has more cases than 48 states other than New York and New Jersey. And yet it is right in the epicenter of it all. And it's just it's incredible what's going on. And, and there are people I know, Thomas, who are doing all the right things, staying inside and still finding a way to get this. Uh, virus, which is amazing to me. Yeah, Atlanta right now is, uh, I think it's settling in. I know that they had said at one time it was going to peak at April 21, which go figure in our world, which is so irrelevant in the scope of it all, yeah. right? But as we're preparing for the draft, it's, I guess that's what I would say to you. Yes, people are mindful here. We, you know, finally, you know, things got turned around here. I know our mayor took, took the lead in, in, uh, being, uh, appropriate with the, uh, you know, uh, where we were with the rulings and everything on the legal side of it all. But we right now, I would say to you, it's really crazy because I'm in the middle of draft prep, which is really, really busy and really intense. This, the last 10 days, I'm, you know, doing things and I lose track of it for a while. Sometimes I feel guilty when I come back in and I have some white space on my calendar and I take a deep breath and I think about it. I may have, you know, uh, CNN or BBC on the, on my big screens. And I look at the, the, the taglines, you know, the lines and I'm, it's just unbelievable that I can go from thinking football and, and building a team to the reality of this world. But you know what, that's what it was like during free agency to me, where I'm lost in this world of Tom Brady and DeAndre Hopkins and everything that's going on all day long. And then I would go to my room at night and I would stay in a separate room for my family because I knew that I'd be working through the night. I stayed in the guest bedroom that entire week on purpose. And you put it on the TV at one in the morning and you see what's going on in the world. And that was in mid-March. And you're like, wow, especially here in New York. And now it's obviously blown up, accentuated. We all know where we are. But when we're in our little draft worlds, it's a welcome diversion. What will be interesting, Thomas, will be post-draft that next week, whereas ordinarily you would be getting ready for rookie minicamp, first minicamps, whatever it may be, and there's no minicamps, there's no offseason program to speak of, and now we're faced with looking straight at the reality that's in the faces of everybody else every single day that we manage to escape from through the responsibilities of our job. Brother. You hit the nail on the head. I was thinking that very thing, and I think I could speak for a lot in, in, my, in my position. We are so immersed 
And then on the other side of this, we will be doing what most people, like you just said, have, have been able to do. Not saying that we haven't been able to do it. We reflect, I'm sure, and we think about our families and we're spending time with our families. But to truly think about it from a broader perspective, not being sort of um, distracted by what you refer to as our own little draft world, no question. And, and I'm looking forward to that time to be able to reflect from a, a mind, body, and soul standpoint. That, that's important for me. You're a big mind, body, soul guy. So how has this impacted you the last month plus since we last got together? That Wednesday night in Indianapolis when we didn't realize the world was on the verge of changing in ways that we never could have imagined or envisioned. Well, I, I would say to you, I'm, I'm very particular about getting my fitness in. I think the CDC reported every 90 minutes you should do something fitness-related to keep your immune system strong. I mean, I've upped my, my supplement intake on a number of different ways. I won't go into the specifics of the seven different bottles of, of supplements I am I'm dipping into wow. every day. But I think I'm really particular. Uh, I, I, I think I'm eating a lot better. Let's call it the way it is, right? We're not out eating like we normally do. We're, we're able to dig into the grains and, and a lot of the healthy food and, and uh, you know, lean, lean fish, et cetera, et cetera, that I think we all uh, need if that's our choice. And, and I, so I, I think all in all that way, I'm, I'm, I'm maintaining instead of driving, you know, basically an hour up to work and, and back every day and, and eating bars on the fly, et cetera, et cetera, right? So I think, I think there is a stabling of my world right now, a stabilization of my world, which is welcomed. I told someone the other day, and we'll get into this, I know, segueing into draft setup, which I'm sure we'll talk about. There's a calmness about that this year uh, versus having 45 people in the draft room. By yourself, you like that better? Well, I, 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 I want the people around me that are really instrumental. And, and, and right now, the way that we're doing, you know, the way that we're working that is that, you know, we have a handful of us that are, you know, the, the main players in all of this. There's a lot of side, uh, you know, peripheral people that are ex- incredibly important. But the way that it really breaks down is, you know, myself and, and Dan Quinn, of course, uh, Rich McKay and Arthur Blank, our, our college director, uh, Anthony Robinson, and our personnel director, Steve Sabo. That's the main five. That was five. I hope my addition is right there. Uh, yeah. Six, including myself, I think. That's the main group. And then outside, we have a network built where we're communicating with everyone else, of course. Initially, we thought we were all going to be able to be in the draft room with that group, and then we were going to have people in different offices. Of course, that's a long, ongoing story, which I know you covered closely. But uh, you know, to no avail, we're we're now back at our homes working, you know, individually. Which again. Uh, I really love what our technology staff has done. They've really good, you know, done a really good job setting me up with the basics of what is needed uh, at a high level, of course. And uh, we, you know, we're allowed one tech person in our in our place during the draft. Um, oh, you are. And we are. We are allowed one person, and that person. I've, I've joked about this, and I'm not making light of the situation, but. That person cannot be Dan Quinn as a former electrician back when he was 22 working as an apprentice for an, an electrician somewhere in, in the state of New Jersey. Um, yeah. You know, and I, again, it, it, it has to be a legit tech person who is coming in. So I have our head of technology, Mike Cruz, coming in. He's going to be living out of my basement for three, three days, actually. And, you know, Rich McKay will have someone up in his, his uh, upstairs apartment and Dan will figure it out with his situation uh, as well. So, what, what we're doing there is we're having that one tech guy in gal guy in and around. And if we need them, they come up, you know, masked, gloved, um, 
And but I don't want them up in in my part of the world at all. I, I want it to be myself and my son. That's what it's going to be during this time, and and we're going to work diligently and communicate well, given all the the great technology we believe is in place. I didn't even realize this. So, is every general manager in the league and every head coach in the league going to have a tech living in their house during the three days of the draft? I don't know if they're going to be living in the house. Uh, I think what they're going to be doing is they're going to be, you know, they're going to be in and around and available. Now, look, some people may have them in an RV outside their house, and a, and I was envisioning a like a spy van out there at one time uh, walking in with a hazmat suit. I didn't think that was probably the the best way to approach it. So we, we have a really good setup in place. We believe as well, where we've, we've taken major measures from our, from our uh, medical people, as well as the people that are doing a lot of our, our regular cleaning of our office with the people that are there, which as you know, is, is our trainer, a couple trainers and, and a strength coach. But we are we have taken that approach and we are making sure that we're wiping down any time a tech guy comes in to set up the technology. This was one of the things that you wrote about. This is how people are making sure that they are crossing their T's and not dotting their I's and feeling comfortable with their family. They're making sure that the cleaning process and the follow up is incredibly acute and focused so that no one you know is put in any sort of uh, in harm's way, of course, within the, the GMs and the head coaches and the president's houses. What do you think this process is going to be like when it plays out next week, Thomas? Will there be as much trading? Will it be different? How will it be different? I'm sure you've envisioned what it will be like. What is it? What is that like in your mind? Well, I, I think something that's not so different for me because um, I and a, and a few others are, are quite active in the week leading up or whatever, and they're they're trying to set parameters. They're loose parameters, of course, but calling different teams to find out if they're interested, sort of set up. Uh, preliminary trade uh, discussions and compensation if. You know, situational, of course, um, nothing is cast in stone. I think there's going to be a lot more of that preparation prior to getting on the clock. If I don't see it being as – I see it being as active. I mean, it was really interesting when we were all talking about it with our, you know, the general manager's advisory committee, and, and there was a lot of discussion about it. And when the topic came up about, you know, should there be – a suggestion about altering somehow the, the, the trades and, you know, uh, you know, trading in the draft. And I mean, in a, in a, in a second, everyone, everyone started firing off like, no, we do not want any change to the trade. We want to be able to trade free flow like we always have, and we will manage it and adapt to it. No one wanted to cut back on the trade or, or eliminate trading in the draft. That's just not, I, I've said this before. That's not this generation of, of general managers, as you know, it is an aggressive group. And uh, so uh, suffice to say, everything is in place and we'll we'll do it uh, diligently, of course, work diligently. I mean, we have everyone will have different approaches. I mean, I have my trade phone set up here ready. I'll start practicing with them and making sure that everything is set. Hopefully I don't need the tech to come up and, and do anything in the end. You know, the trading can go down to in the very end could go down to me picking up the phone and calling up, you know, Dave Caldwell. Uh, you know, uh, at, at Jacksonville or wherever, Howie Roseman and, and being on our cell phones talking about it. Um, I think the, the the more limited you are and the, the intricacies of your, your technology, the better in all of this. And that has been uh, talked about being the approach from the league and, and from most general managers. It sounds like you've already had conversations about moving up. <laughs> I said that as a little bit of a drop in the bucket to see if you picked it up. Um, you know what? I have not had conversations with anyone necessarily. I've had people call to say, "Hey, you know, if if you're interested, we're interested." And and yet yeah. that's that's small right now, and it happens. But uh, I have yeah. not 
talked and, and, and yes, there was nothing uh, at all concrete about calling up Dave Caldwell. I was using him as an example and how he is an example because of two friends I have in this league, of course. Uh, Mike Cruz, your IT guy who's going to be living in your house, have you gotten his food order for three days, Thomas? Are you going to be taking care of this guy and feeding him really well? Well, that's what we have to talk about. I think he's going to negotiate that as part of his, uh, you know, his extra comp on all of this because that's that's a lot of work to be doing. Um, and he's, you know, he's a good Southern dude, right? He's from this area, so I got to make sure that I'm I'm not necessarily, uh, you know, worrying about my my type of fare for him. I, I need to make sure that it's suitable for him, of course. I've actually wondered about that because on draft weekend, right? Teams have all their food brought in. You don't have to worry about that. You're in your own world. You're you're working, you're digging in, you're making your calls, doing your final prep work. Someone will bring you food. You know when you have a little break to grab food. How are you going to coordinate food for the three days when it's in your house and you've got Mike Cruz to feed? Well, you know what? That's a really interesting thing. We've been so focused on technology and we've been focused on you know the other logistics. You know, Are we going to truly set up some sort of a, 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 a makeshift studio in my garage or not, you know, are they going to have a 10 foot boom to interview me post picks? We're talking about all that. And I have not given much thought to food at all. And that is like, that's a mainstay, as you know, that's one of the main parts of it all. So <laughs> thanks for giving me a heads up. See, I can always learn from you. I well, you know what? That. In all honesty, I actually woke up this morning and I was wondering about that myself because with my family, a lot of times, you know, my wife will cook last night, we had taco Monday and and, and and a lot of times we're bringing in where they'll deliver and they'll leave it on your front stoop and you go and you clean off everything, you put it onto plates, or we do curbside pickup where they put it in the trunk of your car and you come home. But we have like five, six places that we're using, but I'm the guy that goes out, I'm the one that puts in the orders, picks it up, I'm, I'm the only one that's left the house. And I'm thinking to myself, I'm not leaving during the draft. So how are we going to do this? Like my wife and I are going to have to get on a food plan here for those three days to figure out how this is going to work because I'm not leaving. I'll be in my home office the entire time and I'm not going anywhere. So I, I, I don't know what we're doing yet here. I have a, a call interestingly enough, and I had not finished my, my agenda with, with uh, Dan Quinn and Rich McKay this morning. We do, we do it, you know, two or three times a week and we just have great conversations about all things that are going on, especially during COVID-19 uh, uh, times. And, and, one of the things I'm going to bring up, thank you for including uh, that so that I can add to my agenda, is, is food. I think what we'll do, quite honestly, is maybe we'll get the people that we deal with, our food people, you know, they'll, they'll be able to come and work three, three homes or four or five homes and drop things off uh, on our patios, uh, our doorsteps. That might be a really good way to do it. Uh, now, before I let you go, Thomas, you guys could potentially field 11 first-round draft picks on offense this year. You are the king of accumulating first-round picks at this point in time. You look at your offense, everybody that's going to play is a first-round pick, a former first-round pick. If you draft another one, we could we could have 12 first-round picks playing on offense this year if you go offense and <laughs> How much thought you know, are you giving to that kind of thing? Uh, look, what's really interesting is yesterday your your good friend Susie Culber interviewed me on that very point, and she said it's boom or bust, and I took exception, of course, because uh, <laughs> in no way do we think that. However, I would say – I really wasn't tracking it as much. It wasn't like I was looking like we're going to put together a whole bunch of first rounders for this offense. It played out that way. You know how that can go sometimes as it starts building or thinking, wow, we're starting to acquire a number of first rounders that we think are legit players that, that can continue to play. And 
that doesn't happen often. I've seen it through organizations over the past and it's, you know, some's been, something has been made of it, but in the end, you know, I think the most important thing is that you have the, the, the right makeup and mix with the people. Right. And we feel like, you know, the acquisitions that we've made along with the, the, the first rounders that we have on our offense right now, they're, they're hardworking, directed uh, team guys. And I think that's going to be really important for us. Now, the other thing, again, as we're talking here, I have the TV on in the background and I see Tua flashing up, highlights of Tua flashing up as we speak. And, and my question for you, Thomas, is somebody who used to work with the Patriots, uh, 2002, you spent time with them, 2003 through 2007, director of college scouting for them. They're now in a situation that they've never been in before or they haven't been in in 20 plus years. Just curious from your projection, your standpoint as a general manager of the Falcons, as somebody who spent the time in New England that you did, what would you guess they might do at quarterback here in the upcoming draft? Oh, my God. You just led into what I thought is like, you know, patriot heresy, right? You, you leave the organization and you start commenting on them. What, what would Bill do? Um, yeah, well, you know, what does Bill and, do and here? What's that? What does Bill do here? You know what? I, it's, it's a really interesting question. And, and having, you know, I, I'm, I obviously can't answer for, no. for him. Thinking no, I know about, that. But that, that's why, again, and I know you don't know. But I'm just yeah. asking your theory, knowing them the way you do, knowing him the way you do, what you would guess from your job as the general manager of the Falcons, knowing them, like I said, with your history with them. This is the honest truth, and this is not playing down the middle, although that's all that would be probably expected of me. They have their plan, believe me. I mean, it is such a well-thought-out, calculated organization. Uh, and what I do know, what I do know is they they have their plan, and they have, they have, they have you know, you know, done their due diligence at so many levels. Like Nick Casario is, is like fascinating that way as far as his abilities and his intelligence working with, with uh, Bill and working with Ernie Adams and look, working with all the other people there. I just know that they have their plan and their plan is set. And uh, I, I don't, I'm sure the plan is set by now and probably has been set for, for, for weeks. Well, Thomas, I hope that we can get together soon. <laughs> and, I, and I sincerely mean that like February 26th, I never would have imagined we'd be in the positions we are, a virtual draft coming up quickly. I wish you the best in the draft next week. I thank you for the time today. And I know that if I need to text some last-minute confirmation, hey, I'm hearing you guys are trading up, I'm going to be texting Mike Cruz uh, during the draft. <laughs> I'll run upstairs to They'll get confirmation from me. That's great. Yeah. Okay. Well, I'll make sure I'm monitoring that down there because we're, we're having cameras all over the house. So we'll be good. <laughs> thank you, Thomas. I appreciate it. Be well and stay safe. Uh, be, be well. Stay safe to you and your family. Thanks. Thanks, Thomas. There's the Falcons general manager, Thomas Dimitrov, who is preparing for a draft the likes of which we've never seen before. And just says it'll be different for Thomas Dimitrov. It'll also be different for the host of this year's draft on ABC, ESPN, NFL Network, Trey Wingo. Joining us now, the host of the 2020 NFL draft that will be seen on ABC and ESPN. And Trey, I would say to you this, have you ever had an assignment like this that's going to be viewed by more people than this upcoming draft in your entire career? I don't think so, Adam. I mean, it's going to be bizarre, for lack of a better term. Um, You know, we all find ourselves in a very uh, unusual time. And the way we're doing it this year, if you had told me a year ago, this is the way we would do the draft after what we saw in Nashville, 
2019, I would have said you're crazy. But uh, here we are, and we're, and we're making do. Where are you doing it? Uh, I will be in the studio uh, at ESPN, and I think I will be there with one, one or two other people. Uh, I will be there. Uh, obviously, there will be a camera operator there. I think uh, the, the head of NFL Studio Production, as you well know, Seth Markman will be there, and I think everybody else, including yourself and Mort and Lewis and Booger and Mel, are all going to be in, in separate locations, and uh, we're going to try and figure this thing out. See, that was my question. I didn't even realize that until just now. I was wondering whether Mel Kuyper Jr. and Todd McShay and Lewis Riddick would be in studio, but they're not. Well, I, I don't know with certainty, but I'm I'm planning on that to be the case. It just it seems like that's that's where we're headed, and so I'm I'm sort of putting that in my mind now. If that changes for whatever reason, uh, I we will adjust. But I, I in my head right now, that's sort of uh, where I'm I'm just preparing myself to be. So everybody's got their own challenges for the draft, right? Like I've thought of this, Trey. I'm going to be trying to call people for information. And it's not like if I'm calling one guy who's in the room but not necessarily on the phone, he sees what's going on. You're going to have to get the people directly involved, and they're going to be busy. So I think it's going to be more difficult to do my job in terms of real-time reporting than ever before for the draft, and that's my issue. It's not a big deal in the world we're living in, in the grand scheme of things. But what challenges are there for you in a studio by yourself with all these people breaking down all this film – of all these prospects, of all this action going on, well, you're the only one there. Yeah, you know, I mean, like, for example, in any other year where we'll all be on the set together, I'll start doing something and someone will wave to me, whether it's uh, Mel or Booger or Lewis, about what they want to jump in on and and how this is going to go. And so we have sort of nonverbal communication there between between all of us. So obviously that's going to be different. Uh, You know, I do think we're going to try and work out ahead of time you know, who wants to get in on what pick, but that doesn't mean that's always going to work, especially if there's a trade, uh, and that may change things up. The only way you can really think about it is just, like, prepare for there to be some, some I don't say disasters, but some, some missteps, some glitches, some malfunctions, and, you know, it's going to be okay. I mean, uh, it's not going to be the end of the world. If we, if it, it's not going to be the cleanest thing ever because it's, it's impossible to be the cleanest thing ever. So we're just going to sort of roll with it, and it's 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 going to be my job, I think, more than anything else, to just make sure everybody stays calm, and we'll we'll work our way through this, and we'll get where we need to go. But uh, it's it's going to be a little more like a like a roller coaster ride than usual, and the draft is usually a roller coaster ride. So uh, it's going to be it's going to be an experience. In your storied career, Trey, you've done a lot. Give me what has been the most high profile event you have worked on up until this event and does this exceed that uh, you know that's that's a really good question adam i mean like uh, in, in terms of i think this i think we're anticipating this draft to be more watched than almost any other one but you know the draft itself is one of the high profile events that we do at espn every year and outside of the super bowl on a regular basis uh fan engagement from the nfl's perspective with the draft is right there behind the super bowl um you know I, i've been fortunate enough to do a lot of things like cover the olympics which was a lot of fun in Salt Lake City in 2002. I, uh, you know, I did the U.S. Open and, and British Open golf coverage for a lot of years, Wimbledon, uh, the U.S. Open tennis. This one's going to be unique I, in, in a lot of different ways because of fan interest, 
uh, the number of eyeballs, and obviously the limitations that we all may be dealing with. So uh, I'd be hard-pressed at this point to find something that wouldn't be more unique, let's put it this way, because there might be events that I consider very high-profile that might not get as much viewership, but that doesn't mean they don't matter to me. You know what I mean? And, 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 and it was announced today, Trey, that we are basically the only show in town. NFL Network will not exist. We're merging in their talent into our yep. broadcast as well. So you are going to be the lone host of the 2020 <laughs> draft that's seen on ABC, ESPN, and NFL Network carrying our feed. So will that go through your mind in terms of the audience that you're reaching out there? You just go out and just another draft. No, I, not at all. I mean, I, I, I'm, I'm, first of all, let me just say I'm ecstatic that we get to work with some of the people in the NFL Network because you know them as well as I do. This business is, for lack of a better term, very incestuous. I mean, there's a lot of people that we have here that used to work there. There's a lot of people there uh, that used to work here, most notably two of their lead guys, Rich and Daniel Jeremiah, you know, who used to work with us and used to sit in the draft meetings with us here. So I, I, I don't there. think about – Exactly. Right. Who am I talking to? I know where you came from. Uh, you know, I, I don't I don't think about that at all because it's, it's not helpful or beneficial. Like to me, the thing that I'm thinking about is just making sure the research is done. Like it, it, no one's ever ready for the draft. You just pray that you're ready enough. Right. Because there's so many moving parts and there's so many names and there's so many players that if you ever feel like you're ready, you're definitely not ready. So you know, all I'm doing is trying to do the things I've always done, which is just prepare as much as possible and uh, just we're going to let it rip. And we're just going to, you know, all we can do is have fun with it. And that's all I'm going to try and do. But that will be a little bit more complicated having to weave in guys like Daniel Jeremiah and Kurt Warner and Mike Lerner. That'll make it a little bit more challenging for you, won't it? It will. But, I mean, it's just really, in my estimation, just, okay, another resource we have available. I mean, there's two ways to look at it, right? You can look at it as like, oh, my God, how am I going to do this? Or, oh, my God, look at all the talent we have available to us, and let's try and get everybody in at the right time. I mean, I, I, did, I once, did, once did something where I think we had uh, – we did an NFL Live where we had seven different people weighing in on something, four in studio and three somewhere else, mm-hmm. about some major event in the NFL. I can't remember what it was, but it was, you know, we'll get to you. Hang on. Let's do this. We'll go over here. And I got a, I got a phone call after that from someone – who I will remain nameless because I don't know if they want me to say this, but he was like, I was watching that and you know, you did a really good job just sort of bouncing around from this place to that place. And I, I feel it's going to be very similar. So, I mean, are there challenges? Yeah. But what's the fun if there's no challenge, right? The draft itself is challenging. I mean, you were there, Adam, a few years ago in Chicago where we had video of a guy smoking weed and a gas mask come up right before he was drafted. I mean, the draft itself is really challenging. There's all kinds. Of, I always say it's the only ultimate reality television show because everything else in reality television is scripted and fake. None of this is fake. It just happens. You know what's unbelievable about that draft, Trey? It was yeah. so cold in Chicago. That was Chicago. Oh, yeah, God, that was yeah. Chicago. Yeah. It was, was so Chicago. cold. And on that last day, that Saturday, rounds four through seven, it got so cold and windy and snowy that at one point they decided to move our outdoor set back inside into the auditorium that they had closed down after the first round. And so they did it in shifts. So at one point, me and Todd McShay went in, and I was Trey Wingo hosting the draft for 30 minutes, which I had never done before. 
And I remember yeah. they, the, the Ravens drafted someone from Navy at that point in time, I believe. Who was the kid? You would remember because you're unbelievable at this stuff. Who was the wide receiver? Keenan Reynolds. Keenan right? Reynolds, Keenan yeah. Reynolds. He was a quarterback slash wide receiver, yeah. Yep, they, they drafted him. So it was crazy to literally transition the set in between all of our stuff to get there. But it, but it happened at that point in time, and so this, oh, this I, I remember, I remember, I remember because we had we had buses taking us because it was you're right, it was freezing in Grant Park, oh. and and not only that, but it was raining and the wind was howling. So you guys went in on one wave, and then we came in on the next one. I mean, look, it's it's messy. The draft in general is messy. This year it's going to be messy. You know, you, you got to look, you got to be willing to swim in the dirt and play in the slop a little bit when you come to the draft, and this is certainly going to be one of those years. Now, nobody does a better job, and I don't know if people realize this, of studying these players and learning insignificant or significant facts about them than you. How long do you study? And give me some of the facts for some of these guys in this year's draft that we'll be hearing the ESPN telecast. Well, that's one of the reasons, obviously, why day three I like so much, because if we're being honest about it, most people know most of the guys you're talking about on day one because you've either heard their name or you – You've watched them play uh, in big-time college football. Now, when you get to day three, there are a lot of players that nobody has ever heard of. There are a lot of players that that, uh, nobody's ever even seen before, and you really have to sort of give people a little bit about their history. And for me, like, look, if you want X's and O's, Mel and Todd are your guys, or Lewis is your guy, or how someone's going to transition to the next level, that's, that's Booger's responsibility. I've always approached it as my job is to make sure we, A, keep the thing moving, keep it on track, and B, fill in the gaps. And, and, you know, to me, I think so many fans look at the draft as a manufacturing plant. Like we are getting a player as if he's an inanimate object or he's a widget, for lack of a better term, and we're just going to plug said widget into the team that we have and everything will be fine. But they're not widgets. They're people. They're, and a lot of them are young kids, 21, 22, 23, that have overcome some amazing things uh, in, in their backgrounds to sort of get to where they are. You know, like I'll give you an example. There are two players that will be drafted very highly in this draft whose fathers were killed uh, when they were struck by cars on the side of the highway. Now, one of them was uh, getting out to help, help somebody change a tire on the car and out of his act of good kindness and being a good Samaritan, somebody clipped him, and, you know, he died. We have another prospect in this draft who, at the age of two, lost his father in a boating accident, and then when he was playing Little League Baseball in a le- at 11, watched his brother die by a lightning strike uh, in, the, uh, in the outfield, and he's had to deal with that going forward. There are amazing stories of, of, a, of one of the offensive linemen who will be drafted very high, whose nickname is Big Fish, because he started out being a lifeguard at a pool in Jacksonville, Florida, and actually saved a kid's life. Uh, and his, his mom got him into the pool and being a lifeguard at the pool because they wanted to keep him out of trouble. And because he was such a huge player, he played at a Power 5 conference. I don't want to give their names away yet. But because, because of that, he sort of helped him with his dexterity, and his nickname is Big Fish, and he's arguably the largest lifeguard in the history of Jacksonville, Florida. Uh, there's a wide receiver uh, who probably is going to go in the third round, uh, that besides being a, a pretty talented guy on the field, uh, is, a, is a carpenter, can play guitar, can solve Rubik's Cube in less than a minute, <laughs> and, and it does a million different things. 
There's another offensive lineman who apparently has a photographic memory, and when he was uh, 13 years old, he took the ACT, which is the college exam you can use to get into college, and scored better than 75% of the applicants on the national average. So to me, it's about filling in a little bit of information about these, about these players so you know them as people, not just as products, because they are not in any way, shape, and form a finished product for the most part. They are, for the most part, an unfinished product that have really interesting and sometimes tragic stories that they've overcome. And you have a photographic memory with this stuff. When do you start studying all this stuff in advance? Uh, you know, I, I, first of all, I have to say that we have the best researchers in the world. You know this from all your work on the NFL, whether it's John Perlin or one of the guys that's always on your podcast, Evan Kaplan, Vince Massey, yep. and Jim Carr, who does great work for us yep. on Monday Night Football. Tremendous. They start compiling basically a, a, a packets by position in, fe- in the, about the middle of February. And for me, what I do, and there's all, there's all different kinds of ways you can do this, but for me, what works best for me is I get the packets, I print them up, put them in the binder that I have with me on the set, and I just start reading. And I underline things that I think are fascinating or interesting uh, about this player. And then, you know, you go through every position, and then it's just a matter of rereading and rereading. and re- I mean, everyone has their way of learning, right? For me, that's the way I always learned when I was in high school and in college taking exams. It was putting the material together and just rereading it and rereading it and rereading it until it's sort of ingrained. Now, I will grant you that most of this falls out of my head three days after the draft. But, you know, every once in a while, I'll see somebody playing in the NFL. I'm like, oh, that's the guy who – you know, did this. Like, we have, a, we have a tight end out of Dayton this year named Adam Troutman, who's yes. going to be the highest drafted player in the history of Dayton, and the first one, I believe, since somebody went in the seventh round in 1973, or 11th round. Uh, it was you, uh, Gary Cousins, the running back, who went 77th overall in 1972. How's that, Trey? Yeah. Yeah, exactly right. So you know. We also got the kid Jordan Love, who's likely to be the the third Utah State player ever taken in the first round, behind the likes of MacArthur Lane, the great running back, uh, back in the late '60s and early '70s. So those are the things that intrigue me. You know, we have we have a kid uh, named Ben Barch on the offensive line from St. John's, who gained what 60 pounds over two years by putting this ungodly creation together in a blender and waking up every morning at 5 a.m. to drink it. And so, I mean, that's the sacrifice he made. He was a tight end at St. John's in Division Three, and, uh, you know, needed to gain weight because they wanted to play line. So he didn't, you know, there wasn't a guy handing him a protein shake at a Division Three school at St. John's. So he just went on the Internet and Googled, you know, how to, how to gain weight and threw all this stuff together. And some of the stuff he chugged every morning was just nasty, but he did it. So, I mean, those are the kind of things that I enjoy telling that give you a little bit more perspective about who he is and how they came to be the players that they are and the the draftees that they will be. Look, it's you either like the draft or you don't, right? I mean, I know some people don't like it, and I understand that. That's fine. You know, it's why there's chocolate and vanilla, why some people like peppermint swirl and some people like Rocky Road. But if you like the draft and if you you like the, the chaos that comes with it, I mean, that's fun. Like, Adam, you remember a couple of years ago in, in Philadelphia on that Friday night oh my uh, when you know, we yeah. had 100,000 people outside at around midnight. They all burst in singing Fly, Eagles, Fly when they were making their third-round pick. I mean, that was awesome. Yeah. To this date, that's still one of the funnest, uh, funnest huh. experiences I've ever had, although I think we all had a contact high after that. We all would have failed the drug test. Oh, my <laughs> what God. Was in for, what was swirling in from the audience out there was hilarious. 
Well, well, just think, you know, the NFL used to be in New York every year, Radio City Music Hall, and it, and it went well, but when the NFL decided to move it around, it really brought a lot of energy to it. I will say that. And as a guy who lives in New oh, York, yeah. I loved being home in New York. It was easy. It was convenient. But when you think of the draft sites that we've gone to, Chicago, Philadelphia, Dallas, Nashville, am I missing somebody? Maybe. I don't know. But – there was so much energy, and there would have been so much energy in Vegas this year. Oh my gosh! Yeah, and it's gonna—it's it, just, you know, it's gonna it, be different. It, it's gonna be different. The players feed off energy during the game, and if they're not playing in front of fans, uh, yeah. this will be a little bit what it's like for us this time because there is extra energy for that draft when you're sitting in front of those fans and they're yelling and screaming. It's—it's it's a crazy scene, and now it's gonna be like any other day. It's Groundhog Day in all of our lives, where every day just repeats yeah. itself. And you're home, and you're not going anywhere. You're gonna to get to go to the studio. We, I, you know, I haven't been there uh, since March 11th, and I don't know the next time that I'll be in Bristol at the ESPN studio. It's crazy to think about. But this is the world yeah, we're living in. There, I was there once ten days ago when we did NFL Live and we did uh, Todd McShay's uh, mock draft that day, and I haven't been back since. So you're right. And, and to that point, I mean, Adam, we had over 650,000 people. Uh, in Nashville last year over the three-day period. But I will, I will say this, like, I, and I know you've uh, tweeted about this and, and reported that some general managers are concerned about this and that with this process. Mm-hmm. But remember, last year in Nashville, literally the night of the first round, there were potentially massive thunder and lightning storms yeah. that could be headed towards Nashville. And there were plans in place. I mean, remember, I remember sitting in those meetings and they're like, look, if the lightning comes, we're going to evacuate the stage, and the NFL draft prospects will be in buses. They will stay in these buses until it's deemed safe out there. We will head to this location. The NFL Network people will head to this location. And, you know, we had potentially had to deal with that. So the way I'm looking at it is wow. it's just another obstacle that, you know, we're going to have to work around because the draft is going on, and there's not much we can do about it except plan for contingencies and hope for the best. So in, in, in one way, it is very different, but yet in another way, it really isn't because every year we have these sort of potential situations pop up. No, I, I totally forgot about that until you brought it up. And you're right. That was yeah. crazy last year. The amount of planning and concern there was for people's safety yeah. and the weather and the right. and what was supposed to be blowing through Nashville. It was, it was a major storm. Right, That's right, it. and it just it just skirted. We got a little bit of the sprinkle of of rain for a while, but that was about it. And you know, going back to Philadelphia, because like Chicago was the first year where they had the second day outdoors, and that was really different. But the year in, in 2017, when the draft was completely outdoors in Philadelphia, I remember sitting down with Commissioner Goodell right before, you know, as we always do that interview right before the draft, and he looked at me and said, "Trey, I do believe we've outgrown this being an indoor venue." <laughs> And he was right because it just got bigger. It was bigger in Dallas the year after that, and it was bigger in Nashville the year after that. And I firmly believe it would have been bigger uh, in in Las Vegas this year. But Adam, I want to ask you a question because you know this stuff more than anybody, and you're great at uh, getting your inside information. Next year's draft is scheduled to be in Cleveland. Yeah. I wonder if they're going to say because I, I think there's a there's an open year after that. If I'm after not mistaken, that, before we go to, before we go to Kansas City. Right. I wonder if they just bump everything back, you know, and do Vegas next no, year. No, no, I think what they're doing, that? I think it's going to be Cleveland next year. Then I think yeah. in that empty year, it'll be either 
Las Vegas or Los Angeles, and yeah. then it'll be Kansas City, and then whatever one doesn't get it, Las Vegas or Los Angeles, then next year. My guess would be just logically, Las Vegas would be the empty year. I mean, just common right, sense, right? It seems right. It, see, it right. It has to be right because they. I mean, you saw the mock-up and how how we're going to use the fountains in front of Caesar's Palace. It was going to be awesome. It was going to be such a spectacle, and that's what the draft is. And you're right. There won't be that part of it this year, but at the end of the day, it's still about finding the best players for your team, and I think everybody just has to understand that's what we're doing. The draft is a beloved event. People love it. I, I know I had an issue with when it was going to be. I understand it. Yeah. Look, I was going to be good whenever the draft is. The NFL is going on with it. We go on with it, and it's going to be great. Right. Uh, we can agree to disagree on whether or not it should be this weekend or next week. Uh, but it'll, yeah. it'll be fantastic, and it'll just be very different. And I think there'll be more anticipation from football fans for this draft than maybe any draft that there's ever been because, frankly, people are craving live events. Yeah. Anything. We want – we watched horse over the weekend. <laughs> we watched we watched WNBA and NBA and former NBA players play horse over this weekend. So I, I agree with you. Now, now I I want to get your thoughts on this too because you know there's two ways to look at it, right? Well, should this be going on when all this is happening in the world, or do we do the thing and try and use something in sports to give somebody something to think about besides? the thing that's dominating everything in our lives. And, you know, from, from doing the, the radio show with, with the Golics, Golic and we go 6 to 10, ESPN yep. Radio, ESPN 2 every morning. There you go. We haven't gotten a ton of I can't believe they're doing this or I can't believe free agency but wasn't. But you wouldn't. You wouldn't because you wouldn't, Trey, because those are sports fans. Right. Those I agree. But those are the fans. people. But You're right. But those are our people, right? I mean, what do we always say? Stay in your lane. That's our lane. And, yeah. and I, you know, uh, so, I mean, you're right. We wouldn't get it from them. But I thought, I thought, I was wondering if there would be a lot of push from some people about that. And, you know, I, I didn't really see a ton of it. And I certainly understand that some, not everybody's going to agree with it. But at the end of the day, we're, you know, what is ESPN's motto? To serve sports fans whenever, wherever. Yeah. And, and I think we have to look at that as that's our audience. And if this is what they're okay with, then I, I'm all in, you know? Yeah, and, that, and that's fair. And I understand that. And you know what? The people that don't like it, that want to tune it to CNN and get the latest on the pandemic, they can do that. And for the people that want yep. something different for a few days, a few nights, uh, they will have it on ABC and ESPN, and it will be there for everybody to see. And they can follow who their teams are taking and where their favorite college players are going. And for a few days, maybe it does provide some hope and fun and diversion for all of us who haven't had it. You know, you're talking about this weekend on Sunday. You know, we all go through this, I'm sure, right, in our own little peaks and valleys. But Sunday afternoon, I'm right. sitting around, I'm sitting on the couch, and I'm, like, surfing through the chat, and I literally could not find anything I wanted to watch. I wound up watching yeah. some of the Patriots-Giants Super Bowl uh, from Arizona, and it was crazy. Well, it's funny you said it. I was toggling back and forth between that and Tiger Woods winning the Masters again, which I thought CBS did a wonderful job with that, having Jim Nance and Tiger part of the broadcast and taking through part of uh, you know what he was thinking at certain times. And I actually texted Joe LaCava, who is Tiger's caddy, uh, who, by the way, is from Connecticut, great guy. And uh, I texted him. I said, I'm watching. I'm, why am I nervous? Why re-watching the 2019 Masters? And you'll love this, Adam. He responded, 
uh, I'm nervous too, except I'm watching my Giants beat the Patriots in Super Bowl 42. So he wasn't even watching the Well, he was a little bit, but he was watching Eli and company take down the undefeated Patriots that year, and he was getting anxious as well. So he was going back and forth between those two things. You know what's amazing about watching that game, the Patriots-Giants Super Bowl? At the end of the game, the Patriots get back the ball, and you forget the throw that Tom Brady made downfield on third down. It was like third and 18 to Randy Moss. It was like a 60-yard throw. It was a perfect ball. The Giants just knocked it out. And once they knocked the ball away from Moss, they flashed to the Patriots' sidelines, Bill Belichick. And who was standing right behind Bill Belichick, Trey? Teddy Bruschi? A young field Yates. Oh, no way. Was he really fat field? Oh, yeah. Oh, I put it on Instagram. I put it on my Instagram account yesterday on my stories. If you click onto it right now, you will see it. And it's oh, that's there's, hilarious. You know, there's Field Yates biting his shirt nervously, standing right behind <laughs> Bill Belichick. I will look. It was on my Instagram account. I will text you the picture as we speak right now. Okay, literally. Oh, that's hilarious. Check this out. This is a great uh, picture. I, I have to tell you my favorite story from that game, then, because you have the, you have the uh, picture. You, by know, the way. you have the picture. You have the picture. Okay, I'll look. I'll look at it as soon as I uh, as soon as I get through this. No, um, I want you to look at it right uh, now. I want you to look at it right okay, now. Okay, I'm looking at it. Oh, hold on. I'm going to look at it right now. Let's see. There it is. Oh, my God. Yeah, you're exactly right. That's hilarious. <laughs> oh, my God. That's great. All right, so I got to tell you quickly my favorite story about Super Bowl yeah. 42. As you well know, if you do post game, they herd you down during the game, right? Yeah. Well, at, at, at that Super Bowl out in Arizona, the, they had us all lined up for post game in the parking lot outside what I call the Giant Toaster, University of Phoenix Stadium, because that's what it looks like. And they, uh, so we didn't see the Giants drive where they went ahead and scored to, to take the lead, 17 to 14. So I called our former uh, employee who is now doing a great job uh, for Fox, Mark Schlereth. He was at home. He had left earlier that morning. I said, Mark, I need you to watch the game and tell me what's happening because I'm walking down from the complex into the bowels of the stadium. So I need to know, you know, who to interview and all this kind of stuff. So he was doing play-by-play for me, and the Giants had the ball, and the first attempt at play-by-play, he's like, well, it looks like it's a zone-blocking scheme. I'm like, Mark, don't tell me about the blocking scheme. Just tell me where the ball is going and what's happening. Like, oh, okay, got it, got it. So then he described this one play. Okay, it's uh, pass play, Eli scrambling around, uh, completion, first down. Great. So we get inside the stadium, and I can see the field out of the corner of where we're standing. I'm like, Mark, I can see the field now. We're good. Thanks. So I hang up with him, and I see Plexico Burris catch what would be the Super Bowl winning touchdown. So as soon as we're allowed to run on the field, I immediately run up to Plexico Burris. I'm like, I'm going to get the first one-on-one with him, get the raw emotion of him being the one. By the way, remember, people forget, he predicted that the Patriots would only score 17 points in that game, and the, the Patriots were, like, offended, and they only got 14. So I'm doing this interview with Plexico, and I'm the only one around talking to Plexico Burris. So I get like four minutes with him, and it's great. And then I go on to find somebody else. And I see a million people around David Tyree at the center of the field. I'm like, why the hell are they talking to the the special teamer? What's that about? (laughs) And Schlereth's description of the David Tyree helmet catch was, uh, Eli scrambles around, throws it, caught first down. Thanks a lot, Mark. Appreciate it. (laughs) That was it. He, uh, he's, much, he's much better as a color man than he is at a play-by-play. Yeah, I would say so. Huh? How about that? Uh, well, 
Well, Trey, I'll let you get back to studying all your factoids that it seems like you've already committed to memory. I'll look forward to working with you uh, here on April 23rd, 4th, 5th. If I have something notable, some breaking news story, I'll be waving to you in the monitor. I don't know if you'll see me in my home here, but uh, I'm going to give you the wave. Text will always work, my friend, and I will always go to the Adam Schefter Information Vault. Hey, Trey, 10 years ago, Easter night, Donovan McNabb traded to the Washington Redskins. 10 years ago. Oh, now I got it. Now I got to tell that story. You can't, you can't let me go without telling that story. So <laughs> I sent Adam a text when he broke the news because it was a big deal. And it you know, was traded in the division, which never happens, right? And the, so I said, years ago, Eastern night, correct. Unbelievable. So I, I, texted, uh, I texted Adam and said, Adam, great job on this story. And he texted me back one of my favorite texts in the history of ESPN. Thanks, Trey. Love these stories kill for these stories i'm like that's my guy Shefty, right there <laughs> going full and all in it was great it was great but you kill for the nfl draft and i look forward to working with you again that night and some of the new additions that we'll have like daniel jeremiah and kurt warner and michael Irvin, should be a great night i think the viewer will benefit from having all those different perspectives and voices that night and we will be in touch my friend and i appreciate and thank you for your time today you got it, buddy. Anytime. Always fun to shop it up with you. Thank you, Trey. There's my friend, my colleague, the quarterback of our draft coverage, Trey Wingo. And now let's get an update on where we are moving forward to football returning with the medical director of the NFL Players Association, Dr. Tom Mayer. Well, now we bring in the medical director of the NFL Players Association, Dr. Tom Mayer, who's been a weekly guest on the podcast, and we appreciate his time and his insight. It's been great, and that's why we've had him back each week, Dr. Mayer. Everything going okay in your world? Yes, can't complain at all. Uh, busy, obviously, planning uh, for our season and what that means, but everything is great uh, and just happy to get through the holidays in a, in a safe and healthy fashion. I hope uh, you and your family did the same. Thank you, Dr. Mayer. You said planning for our season there. What does that mean exactly? Well, I think that um, we've talked before about things don't just happen. Uh, mm -hmm. President Eisenhower was very good about that, uh, summarizing how he had gotten through as a Supreme Allied Commander of uh, the Allied Expeditionary Force in World War II and then eight years as president. And the reporter asked him how it happened, and he said it didn't just happen. Um, and, and that's, you know, planning for a season – uh, in the midst, particularly in the midst of a pandemic, involves a series of scenario planning conversations that certain assumptions get made. And then you start to say, OK, what are the obstacles to that, those assumptions? How do we knock those obstacles down and then proceed on to the next obstacle? So that's what we're moving through right now. But with a constant focus on player health and safety as we do precisely that. Can you plan for a season with that constant focus on the player health and safety, knowing the dangers and risks that are out there, Dr. Mayor? Well, Adam, there's a lot of people who would just look at the obstacles and, and throw their arms up and say, well, that can't be done, mm -hmm. particularly in a game like ours, where particularly when uh, you're talking about the offensive and defensive linemen down there, face-to-face, -face, swapping snot every um, play and breathing heavily all over each other. Uh, so I get why certain people would be pessimistic or say it can't be done. But mm -hmm. that's the point is, uh, you know, there uh, I always say limits begin where vision ends. And you take a vision and say, this is how we're going to protect the players involving a combination of testing and, uh, and probably some isolation. 
then you begin to to cobble together a way in which you could make something happen that others thought was perhaps impossible. So what types of things are being planned with what you can share with us at this point in time as we record this on Monday, April 13th? Well, we've continued with our brain trust that the NFLPA put together involving, you know, as I said, serious scientists from across uh, the the scope of expertise necessary to do this. We've had uh, conversations with the league. We've got a task force between the league and the NFLPA that are set up. And you begin to look at how do you test players. As testing is becoming more widespread and available and into communities. We can talk more about that if you'd like. Yes, the I'm to yeah, and uh, test both who's been exposed to the virus, uh, do they have the virus now, do they have antibodies to the virus, look at ways of isolating that group, look at ways of cutting uh, club staff. You, you know, As you know, we call them clubs instead of teams, but to many of your listeners, it's teams, uh, so that we've got any non-essential people are not exposed to the players, and then you kind of ripple it out. It's uh you know, the ripples in a pond effect of saying, uh, how can we get to a place where players can be held, uh, can be kept as safe as reasonably possible in the midst of this virus, this pandemic, and this game? There's been talk in baseball, Dr. Mayor, about putting the players in a biosphere. Is that the kind of thing that has generated any discussion between the NFLPA and the NFL at this point in time? Well, the quick answer is no, uh, but I would say it's very important in in scenario planning in the midst of what previously were thought to be impossible circumstances to have one cardinal rule, and that is there are no bad ideas. We will, as a group, dissect those ideas and look at them. We'll cast them aside. We'll take pieces that work and others that don't. So I'm sure some people would say, well, that's the craziest idea I ever heard of. And, and you can never be, you can never have that statement made if you're serious about scenario planning, because people will come up with some novel, unusual uh, ways of doing things. And as we've said many times, this is a novel emerging disease that is becoming clearer in terms of what it is and what it isn't. But still, uh, I think it's going to take novel uh, circumstances to say, how are we going to fix this? And are there going to be fans uh, in that biosphere or are there going to be, is that biosphere an NFL stadium or an MLB stadium? Uh, are we going to have fanless football? I mean, there's an infinite number of questions wow. that uh, are obstacles that have to either be knocked down or understood uh, the very, very concrete and specific reasons why they can't be knocked down. Dr. Mayor, I'm looking for one specific idea that's come up that maybe you could share with us that would bring people some hope, some optimism at this point in time. Is there anything, any one idea that struck you that you found intriguing, interesting, viable, that would give some people some hope that you could share with us? Yeah, it's the, it's the, uh, really uh, the juxtaposition of, of two uh, what seem to be emerging facts. Number one, that the disease seems to be plateauing, both with regard to new cases per day, and, uh, and it, uh, in addition to that, uh, that testing is available and could become widespread. I've talked to the CEOs and, and uh, leadership teams of several of the testing companies, and those two things put together 
uh, can begin to say, okay, I, I think I can begin to see a way that this could be done. And because, it, it, you know, we, we're going to focus on the health and safety of the players. And I know uh, that's at least uh, ad infinitum, uh, but and perhaps ad nauseum to your listeners. But that's my job. Uh, yeah. I'm directed by D and uh, D Smith and JC Treader to, to focus uh, maniacally on the health and safety of our players. So you're not going to do anything that puts the players at risk. And there's no football that's going to be played if the players are going to be put at risk. So it's your job, right, to come up with something in which they're not at risk. And that means it sounds like testing is going to be a big part of this. What are you hearing about the advancements in testing? Because we keep hearing about testing and how prevalent it's going to be. And I don't think that we've seen the results of yet. And I don't think we've seen the results of that yet in the world in which we're living. Or maybe I just haven't seen it yet. Yes. And uh, first of all, there's two kinds of tests generically. One is viral tests to say, do you currently have the virus? Are you currently harboring or shedding the virus? And those are roughly called molecular tests. The second kind of test, which is critical, is a serologic test, a blood test finger prick test, and that tests for antibodies. And antibodies mean you have been exposed to the virus. I will be shocked if we don't have not just a group, but a large group of the population that says, I don't remember being sick at all. Oh, you know what? Back in February, I did have a cold, but I didn't think anything about it. And they're going to show up with antibodies to say, I have been exposed to the disease, number one. And number two, I have developed antibodies, which is a normal response of every human being on the planet, except people who are massively immunosuppressed, uh, that's what your immune system does, is develop antibodies versus foreign, um, foreign agents, bacteria, viruses, to attach to them, to take them out of the bloodstream, and to get them out of the body. So those two tests combined, uh, it, it would take both tests combined to be able, in our view, to have a strategy towards, let's get back in the training facilities, the club facilities, and then back on the field. And how far away is that testing to where you can get both done? Well, not to get political, I, I had, a, as I said, I spoke to uh, two of the major testing labs last week, uh, extraordinarily bright and, and extraordinarily motivated and passionate people who want to help their country and have, have developed uh, the test with a high uh, degree of uh, of validity so far, although there's some false positive and false negative issues we have to deal with, and they're they're turning the tests themselves out as fast as they possibly can, uh, and and that means the test just call them test cartridges. The cartridge fits into a machine. The machines, many of them are already out there in the community in hospitals and healthcare systems running other tests, including antibodies for for different uh, diseases and viral tests, molecular tests as well. The, the puzzling thing nationally is when you, you hear how many of these they're generating, as you may recall, we talked last week a little bit about testing, 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 but to me that means supply chain, supply chain, supply chain. How do you get them out in the community? And I heard a governor yesterday say that uh, in response to the question about, well, the labs are saying there are plenty of tests out there. Why aren't they in your state? And his answer is, I don't know. So we got to crack that nut because clearly we don't want preferential treatment for NFL players. We want to make sure that, that the communities have sufficient testing resources 
before saying we're going to divert those resources for NFL players. When do you think, based on what you've heard, speaking to the people you have, when do you think it's realistic to expect that this testing that we're talking about will exist on a regular basis? Give any idea there, Dr. Merrick? Yeah, so I talked to the to the labs about that as well as leaders, CEOs, COOs of, of major healthcare systems in the hotspots. And the the answer I would give you is again, it's a juxtaposition of what is the virus doing in those hotspots, and that seems to be declining even in the the hottest of the hotspots, or at least plateauing. I shouldn't say declining yet. The last uh, couple of days showed some declines, but. You know, let's uh, knock on wood and hope that that decline continues. Second piece, then, is the testing itself. And I'm going to tell you that that we've said all along, this is a four-month run. We're about two months and two to three weeks into that run. And then you say, okay, well, what about testing, which is the question you asked. But in the context of what I just said, it's probably two weeks to three weeks away. And the reason is it's not because they aren't being produced. It's because... They're not getting that supply uh, chain piece in terms of getting them into the community hasn't occurred as fast as anyone would have wanted. So I'm going to tell you, I think it's going to be within two weeks. If it ends up uh, four, we're still within the time frame that we had originally thought, which was somewhere around the end of May or June, uh, was when we expected that uh, intersection of two vectors, the vector of declining number of new cases and new deaths, and the second vector, of course, being testing. So uh, May, May, June is my best guess uh, as of Monday at uh, 1130 Eastern. Well, I would take that, May and June, because that would get us on track to get things going in society. And as you mentioned, the testing is key. And you also mentioned the fact that many of us have been sick. It's funny, selfishly, personally, Dr. Mayor, I had a streak in Mid to late January, early February, where I was sick like three different times, like three or four weeks. And I was surprised at how long it lasted. Like it went away and then it came right back and went away and came back again. And now I wonder whether I was exposed to it at that point in time and whether I built up antibodies to it. Could that be? It could easily be. First of all, it could have been one illness that stretched over three weeks or, or longer. Or one of those three illnesses could have been uh, a, the coronavirus, SARS-CoV-2, the, the one we're talking about. And, and the good news is we'll know. The tests, we, we, it looks like the antibody tests are going to be specific enough, particularly if done on, on uh, repeated times, will help us understand um, so-called herd immunity, uh, which I don't love that term, but uh, epidemiologists mean we're we're trying to make sure that the entire population has had it. And so, you know, the the facts, the details, details and facts, as Dr. Fauci always says, always Trump modeling in the first place. But but our hope is that it's actually uh, there's more antibodies out there than there are recorded cases so far. By the way, how old do you know Dr. Fauci? You know, I've known Tony since uh, 2001. You know, I was at the Pentagon, but people forget that there was an inhalational anthrax crisis in uh, 2001 in the nation's capital. And the patients who lived came into my emergency department when I was the chairman there. So uh, I wrote the first article in the Journal of the American Medical Association on successful treatment. And he kindly wrote a very complimentary article. editorial about it. I, I hope he doesn't have other errors in judgment, but uh, 
you know, it's it's uh, he's somebody I trust a great deal and is uh, will speak truth, not just to power, but to anybody that needs to hear the truth. Is he a football fan at all? Yes, definitely. definitely. Really? He won't. Yeah, he won't. He won't say which clubs, but uh, <laughs> understandably, you know, that's like when somebody says to me, you know, hey, Doc, what's your favorite player? All of them. Who's your favorite club? All of them. <laughs> yeah, that's how it is. That's how it works. Well, you know, my favorite teams, Dr. Mayor, my fancy football teams, the players, my favorite players, are the players on my fancy football teams that particular year. So it can shift every year, but you also root for the people that you have relationships with in the business. That's sort of how it works, right? Oh, of course. Of course. Of course. I'm always a doc, I'm always a Dr. Mayor fan. Always a Dr. Mayor fan. Uh, you're, you're very kind. Thank you, Adam. And Dr. Mayor, just so you know, so we can tell the listeners, like I said, this is the third straight week you've joined us. We're going to take off the next couple of weeks to focus on a preview and a review of the draft, and then you'll be back with us to join us again in May, on Monday, May 4th, to debrief us. And hopefully you have plenty of hope and optimism and information about testing and support systems that are being put into place so that we could begin to fast-track some of this and hope to get football back this summer uh, or whenever it may be. Well, I'm a strategic optimist. I invest my optimism as wisely as I can, but I, I share that hope that uh, that strategic optimism will pay off in May and uh, harbor safely and well and come back strong. I know you will. And until then, Dr. Mayor, be well and stay safe yourself. Thank you always for the time. Great. It's always my pleasure, Adam, at any time. There's the medical director of the NFL Players Association, Dr. Tom Mayer, who's been kind enough to give us a weekly update for each of the past three weeks, and we will have him on again after the draft to essentially detail where we're at in the process of more widespread testing and how close football is to actually returning like we all wanted. And now, this week's Ask Adam Questions. Ask Adam. Ask Adam. Ask Adam. Ask Adam. Ask Adam. We should ask Adam. And with that introduction, I now bring in my producer, my friend, Christina Buswell. Christina, what kind of questions we have this week? So I've pulled a handful of questions a lot of people want to know. Adam, what is your daily routine like? Now that you're working from home, do you find it harder to conduct your interviews, your podcasts, or to break news? Honestly, the work is a little bit of a welcome break, right? There, there's so much going on in the house, cooking, cleaning, kids, homework, that <laughs> work suffices as a vacation right now, to be perfectly frank. When I get to walk into my home office and shut the door and basically put myself in here for the day, my wife is the one who's really working hard. She's doing so much um, with everything going on, so much cleaning, so much laundry. And I'm in here working, making this podcast, answering your questions, uh, getting ready for the draft, it, 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 it is a juggling act. It's a something you want to make sure that you're there for your family, but I also don't have a job to do. And so it, it's striking the right balance and making sure it works. And I, I've worked from home for so long, Christina, that it really isn't all that different. It's just that usually every week or so you leave to go to Bristol for two days or you're going to Nashville for the draft or you're going to Las Vegas and I always like that because there's nothing to do but that while you're there. Like if I'm in Chicago for the draft or Dallas for the draft or Philadelphia, you know, some people are going out to parties or honestly, I don't do any of that. It's, it's all work all the time. 
and, and I'm not a lot of fun, and that's just the way it is on those trips. They're complete business trips. And and so now uh, you try to do that at home, but there are certain responsibilities that you have to take care of. You know, we're, we're getting our groceries delivered to the house, and, and yesterday my wife and I spent an hour, you know, wiping them down with Lysol wipes and spraying it down with Fantastic to make sure that everything's clean. It's just, you know, a different world we're living in, and, and I think it takes a little bit more time and a little bit more effort and a little bit more energy and a little bit more patience but but that's just how it is and when I can come into my office that's honestly about as easy as I have it these days I couldn't agree more I think it, it definitely is an adjustment period um, but another fan would like to know speaking of your job your job has taken you to some pretty cool events you mentioned going to Chicago you've gone to Indianapolis you've been all over the place what is the most memorable sports moment you've witnessed, either live, wow. watching as a fan, or as a reporter? Well, well, I would say this, that my senior year of college, 1989, my friends and I went to the athletic office. We bought tickets to the Final Four when Michigan was there. We went that weekend. We flew to Seattle. Um, we bought extra tickets and sold those tickets to pay for the trip itself. You know, college oh, wow. kids couldn't afford it. Yep. And so... My college buddies and I went to Seattle. Michigan was in the Final Four. They played Illinois that Saturday in the Final Four round. They beat Illinois. There were about 23 different lead changes in the game. Then Monday night, they beat Seton Hall. And, and what's better than being in college your senior year in a, in a, in a faraway city, Seattle, from Detroit, uh, with your best friends, watching your school win the national championship three weeks before you graduate college? Like, could anything be better than that? No way, That's right? Incredible. There's nothing beats that, and nothing ever will beat that from a sports standpoint. Now, I've been to some great events. Every Super Bowl, I mean, there've been some incredible games: Giants, Patriots games, and Seahawks, Patriots, Patriots, Falcons. I mean, all those games were, were tremendous to watch. The Broncos-Packers game that I covered when I was a beat writer for Denver back in 1997, when Denver won its first Super Bowl, that was incredibly thrilling too. And, and almost on level with the Michigan thing. But the Michigan thing was so pure and so innocent and just fun with your college buddies that that would stand alone, although there are so many Super Bowls that have been so memorable. I have to say I'm very jealous. I went to the University of Kentucky, and while I was a student, wow. I didn't get to see my team win a national championship. So I'm very jealous that you got to witness. Yeah, I, I, I always wanted to do that. And you know what's funny? I mentioned Seattle for the Final Four weekend. The weekend before... Michigan played in the Sweet 16 round in Lexington, Kentucky. And oh, wow. We, and we drove down there, my college friends and I. And it was probably like, if I remember correctly, like four or five hour drive from Ann Arbor. And we drove to Kentucky and we saw Michigan play North Carolina on Thursday night and Virginia on Saturday. And they blew out both teams. And that weekend was about as fun as the weekend in Seattle. But the stakes weren't quite as great. Although, I'm just telling you, like, that weekend in Kentucky, man, Christina, that was, those two weekends were as good a weekends as, as, as anybody could ever want in college. I'll just say that. That sounds awesome. I think yeah. to wrap up this segment, we just came off of the interview with the Falcons general manager. Every general manager, it seems, is going to be having a tech living in their home or nearby. Adam, who is the one person, aside from your family, of course, could be a yeah. celebrity, a coach, a player, who is the one person you would want to be quarantined with? Well, uh, you know, I, I've had a really nice time with my family here being quarantined. It's my wife. We got my son home from college. We got my daughter here, you know, doing virtual school. And so we, we've been in this house really uh, 
over a month now. Uh, we haven't left very much. I've gone out a couple of times, like I mentioned, to Thomas to pick up food that they put in my trunk and you drive off. Short of that, we haven't really left. We've been in the house. It, it, it's mainly very good. There are times where everybody wants to kill each other, of course, and, 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 <laughs> and that's not welcome. Um, that happens because there's no way that people could live together for that long. I mean, you just think about what we're all doing. It's just, it's crazy. Like, you know, confined to one space, everybody together. And, and, you know, we'll look back at it one day and say, remember that quarantine? That was unbelievable. That, you know, cooking, cleaning, craziness. And, oh, God, you drove me crazy. Um, but it's been a blessing to be like that with everybody and, and not have to go to Bristol uh, and spend time there and, and to get ready for draft, get ready for the draft entirely in my home office and in my house. You know, there are times my wife just walked by just now, you know, and she's like, what are you talking No, I'm on the podcast. And so, so it, at times it gets a little confusing still. But, you know, again, this is the world we're living in. And I, I want to emphasize this again. What we're doing is nothing. When you think about how many people are putting their lives on the line and dedicating themselves in the way they are. And, and I see the doctors and nurses and hospital workers and EMTs, all these people on the news all the time. And I just, it's just unbelievable to me. Even the people like that are working in the grocery stores that come to deliver our groceries. Like I'm so grateful and appreciative that they're doing what they're doing. Cause if they weren't, then, you know, what would we be doing? So it's incredible to me that I, I can call my local pizzeria and they'll deliver pizza to the house. Like they're in there every day. Unbelievable to me. And so I really, I, I'm, I'm truly grateful and appreciative to them and can't believe, you know, again, as challenging as it is for all of us, that all these people have been dealing with everything they have. Like they, there, there are some people that really bore the brunt of this. We haven't, you know, it's been easy for us compared to so many people. And again, just one more way to express our gratitude, our appreciation, and let those people know that we we really do think about them and we really do appreciate everything they are doing, have done, and will continue to do for us during uh, the coronavirus pandemic. I couldn't agree more. And, and even though this is unprecedented times, I mean, like you said, it, it at least it offers some good quality family time. I'm home with yep. my family. You're home with your family. It's, it's nice to have everybody together, although not under the best of circumstances, but it is nice. Well, Christina, I really appreciate you taking the time for those questions. I thank the listeners for sending in those questions. I want to thank Thomas Dimitrov, the Falcons general manager, for joining us. Trey Wingo, the host of ESPN's draft coverage. Dr. Tom Mayer and you, Christina, for sending along those questions. And thank you, the listener, for tuning in to another Adam Schefter podcast. Please join us again next week. We'll be back, hopefully, with some players. who are getting ready for the draft. Big week ahead. And until then, be well and stay safe.